Good morning. Thank you very much for that generous introduction. <laughs> but I think, and I think all of you will agree, that Dr. Whitney needs to take up writing fiction. I think he would, he would do very well. <laughs> it's a privilege to minister God's word to you all this morning, so let us turn to God's word, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. I was tempted to do Leviticus 13 and 14, but I decided I'd just move a book forwards and do Numbers 13 and 14 instead. He was the most brilliant man who ever lived in the U.S. At 18 months of age, he was reading the New York Times. At three years, his father taught him how to read the Greek alphabet, and he promptly began consuming Homer in Greek, of course. At the same time, he also taught himself to read Latin. By six, he spoke seven languages fluently. At eight, he passed MIT's entrance exam, and at nine, Harvard's, but they judged him too young to enter. They made him wait till he was 11. He graduated from Harvard at 16 while already teaching there part-time. His IQ was between 250 and 300. Now you have to bear in mind that Albert Einstein's was just a paltry 200. William Sidus was his name. And I can tell from the utterly blank looks on your faces that you have never heard of this guy. Amazing, isn't it? With that kind of intelligence, you have never heard of him. Totally unknown, yet so brilliant he could conquer any language in one 24-hour day. He died in 1944 at the age of 46. What was he doing, you ask? He was working as a minor clerk in a small business office doing menial duties. He had wasted his life pursuing trivia, shirking responsibility, turning down great opportunities, finally to die unknown, unheard of. Started well, but didn't finish strong. In Christian life also, it's not only how you start the race that matters, but also how you finish. How will you and I finish? How will we be doing as Christians 10, 20, 40 years from now? I'd like this morning to look at one biblical hero who finished strong, Caleb. We will begin at Numbers chapter 13. The Bible depicts three seasons of this great guy. And looking at those three seasons of Caleb's life, I want us to discover three critical elements of finishing 
our Christian lives well. The action begins in Numbers 13. Let me summarize a familiar story. The nation of Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for about four centuries, and God has just led them miraculously out of that country, the Exodus. Now, he is ready to hand over the keys of the promised land to this newly liberated peoples, and that's where we begin in Numbers chapter 13, 13, 1 and 2. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the children of Israel. God promises the land in an unambiguous statement, clear, categorical, certain. He will give them the land, and not only that, it is he who will give it to them. Yahweh, the creator of the universe, not their militaristic enterprises or their strategic maneuvers, not their guns or their swords or their uniforms. Nope. God will give it to them, and God will give it to them. But you know what happened. Twelve spies, including Caleb, are sent out to scope the land, but they bring back bad news. Verse 32, somewhere in the middle of verse 32 of chapter 13. The report of the spies. The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people which we saw in it are men of great size. Also there we saw the Nephilim, which are legendary giants mentioned in Genesis 6. So these spies are hinting that these enemies in Canaan were like those huge enemies of yesteryear. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became in our eyes like grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Notice all the references to sight here. They were seeing things, scary things. We see scary giants. How are we going to win? God? What God? We don't see him. He may be there somewhere, but he's got better things to do than take care of me. No see God? Ain't no God. For all practical purposes, he doesn't exist. All we see are giants and they loom large. And if we are going to survive, we need to take care of ourselves by our own devices and contrivances. That's like my patient Carol, whom I saw one day in my dermatology clinic. I've taken care of Carol and her family for years, so I asked her, hey, Carol, how are, how's the family? How are the kids doing? She said, they're great, Dr. K, just great. Thank God. Knock on wood. You see, God cannot be trusted to take care of my interests. He doesn't care. So I got to take care of myself, knocking on wood, crossing my fingers, tossing salt over my shoulder, avoiding black cats, broken mirrors, and umbrellas inside. God, I don't see him. All I see are giants. I'd better take charge of my life. After all, I'm on my own. All the people which we saw in it are men of great size. Also there we saw the Nephilim, and we became in our eyes like grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Promised land? Oh, no. We ain't going in there. No, sir. But Caleb, he came to a different conclusion. Next chapter, Numbers 14, verse 9. 14, 9. 
Do not rebel against Yahweh. And you, you should not fear. There is a redundant pronoun there for emphasis. You, you should not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. Twice Caleb urges them emphatically not to fear what they see because he could see God and God was with them. You know what the people of Israel did. They didn't listen to Caleb. They did not enter the promised land blind as they were to the presence of God with them. Marshall McLuhan, the philosopher and media theorist once said, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is a hallucinating idiot, for he sees what no one else does, things that to everyone else are not there. Caleb, you are a hallucinating idiot. We don't see no God. There is no God. We are not going there. They refused to go forward. They retreated, a failure to trust God. They couldn't see him. Charlie Chaplin, the movie star in the silent picture era, was a phenomenon. One of the byproducts of his immense popularity was the many look-alike contests that sprung up around the country, even during his lifetime. Contestants attempted to imitate the tramp character Chaplin played in his films. Well, one day, Chaplin decided to enter one of these look-alike contests in a San Francisco theater. He didn't even make the finals. <laughs> Chaplin didn't make the finals of a Chaplin look-alike contest. They did not recognize him. That's the Israelites not recognizing God, and often us, not recognizing the presence of God with us. Unlike Caleb who said, Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. So in his first season of life, here's Caleb trusting God's presence. Trusting God's presence. He knew there was a reality beyond what he could see, hear, smell, taste, or touch. Because God had promised, Caleb was trusting God's presence. And to finish strong, we too must be trusting God's presence. Trusting the presence of God who continues to affirm to us. For instance, in Hebrews 13:5, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. Will you trust his presence despite what you see? No question what our senses tell us isn't all that hopeful. Things are in bad shape in the country, in the world, markets under strain, world under threat, Chinese balloons watching all over us, job situations tenuous, Chat GPT writing our sermons for us? <laughs> and did you know that Chat GPT recently passed the US medical licensing exam? I'm going to lose both my jobs. <laughs> 
talk about tenuous job situations. But seriously, I don't, I don't know what personal misfortunes have befallen you. I've certainly been beset by a few this season. An assortment of fearsome foes, a legion of demonic nightmares afflict us daily. And if we choose to focus only on what we see, those augurs, instead of the God who has promised to be with us and never forsake us, we will miss out on the best that God is ready to give us. To finish strong, we must be like Caleb, trusting God's presence. Fear not, child of God. God is with you. I will never desert you, he said, or ever forsake you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He who gave us Christ, who has given us the Spirit, how can anything prevail against us? Not giants, not monsters, not even Satan himself. To finish strong, we must be trusting in God's presence, just as Caleb did. That was Caleb's first season of life. You know what happened to the Israelites after Numbers 13 and 14. As a result of their lack of trust in God's presence, they were punished to wander for 40 years in the wilderness until all the culpable adults over the age of 20 had died off, except for Caleb and his faithful buddy, Joshua. Now, Caleb was about 40 years old when this first happened. We never hear of him till after those 40 years of Israel's chastisement. He'd be 80 plus then. 40 years, his best years, spent aimlessly wandering in the desert. And what's the worst thing about us? It was that it was a result of a rebellion in which Caleb had no part. He would have been a great leader had the nation taken over the promised land. But instead, 40 years in the desert, in desolation, in despondency, in despair. 40 years in anonymity, unsung, unheard, and he wasn't to blame. Can you imagine how he must have felt? According to the post-Exodus census in the book of Numbers, there were about a million people over the age of 20 when they were punished by God. All million would then die in 40 years. Do you know what that means? About 68 people had to die every day. And if you have 12 hours in a day to conduct burials, that meant an average of five funerals an hour, every 12 hours, each day, every day, every month, every year, for 40 years. A constant chilling reminder of the Hebrew children's abject disobedience and of God's intense displeasure. And none of this 
Caleb's fault. In 40 years, he sees a whole generation vanish, perhaps including his own parents, his siblings, his cousins. 40 years of eating manna and burying people, waiting and waiting and waiting. How long, Lord? Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. As Max Lucado tells one of my favorite stories, one second the bird was perched peacefully in its cage singing. The next moment, its life changed forever. Its problems began when its owner decided to cage, clean its cage with a vacuum cleaner. She stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and feathers from the bottom of the cage, and that's when the phone rang and the good lady turned to pick it up. She had barely said hello when swoop, Chippy was gone. <laughs> the woman gasped, let the phone drop, snapped off the vacuum. With her heart in her mouth, she unzipped the bag. There was Chippy, alive but stunned and covered with heavy black dust. She grabbed the bird and rushed to the bathtub, turned the faucet full blast, and held Chippy under a torrent of ice-cold water, power washing it clean. Then, of course, the good lady did what any compassionate pet owner would do. She snatched up the hairdryer and blasted the wet, shivering, miserable bird with hot air. <laughs> Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> Are you in a situation like that? Have you lost your song? through no fault of your own. If that's the way you feel, I didn't cause this. This wasn't my fault. I want out. I'm tired of being a victim. If that's how you feel, then I want you to take a look at Caleb and the silence, his silence of 40 years. Did he quit? Did he hand in his notice and go into early retirement? Washing his hands of his ungodly fellow men. Not at all. Through thick and thin, he stayed faithful, silent and steady, knowing that God was working in and even through tragedy. God was doing something, and Caleb was trusting God's purpose. In the second season of life, he was trusting God's purpose. In the first, he was trusting God's presence. In the second, he was trusting God's purpose. And if we want to finish well, we must, like Caleb, be trusting God's purpose. Will you? He knows exactly where you are and what trials you're going through. And God is working, remolding, reshaping, reformatting you, even in the wilderness of life. Will you trust God's purpose, even in the darkness?
even in the silence. Trusting the purposes of a God who continues to affirm to us, Romans 8, 28, to those who love him, God causes all things, all things, to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. We may not understand it. We may not fathom it. We may not be able to discern it. But God is always working, always building Christ-likeness in you, conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, even through difficult circumstances. Will you trust God's purpose even in the agonies of life? God is not on furlough. He hasn't gone a wall. He's working. And though we may not comprehend what he's doing, we must be trusting his purpose. I don't know what you're planning to give up or what towel you may be planning to throw in. Some of you may be getting ready to quit college or seminary or maybe giving up on your marriages or some other close relationship or perhaps even thinking of giving up on this God thing altogether. Those pressures and temptations will be upon you if they aren't already. I don't know what you're being tempted to give up, but I know one thing. God is working, and we must trust his purpose. In the second season of life, Caleb was trusting God's purpose. And so if we are to finish strong, we must trust God's presence. We must trust God's purpose. Thirdly, I want you to go forward to Joshua chapter 14, please. Joshua chapter 14. Forty years have gone by. All the people who were over 20 when Israel disobeyed, all million of them have died. Now under Joshua, the Israelites are going to take over the promised land. And guess what Caleb is up to, Joshua 14. Listen to his words, 10, 11, and 12. Joshua 14, 10, 11, and 12. And now behold, Yahweh has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time Yahweh spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, today I am 85 years old. I'm still strong today as I was the day Moses sent me. Verse 12, and now give me this hill country about which Yahweh spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim, those giants, were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps Yahweh will be with me and I will drive them out as Yahweh has spoken. Look at that, incredible. This guy is 85 years old and he asks for a mountain to conquer. I'd have asked for a nice tropical island, books to read, pizza, cheesecake, and steaks to eat. <laughs> War? No way. Sweat? Blood? Are you crazy? 
The only thing I exercise these days is caution. <laughs> I exercise a lot of caution. No, that's not really true. I do get a lot of exercise. I, uh, I jump to conclusions. <laughs> I beat around the bush. I dodge responsibility. I throw my weight around. I go around in circles. I even sweep the room with a glance. That, that's a lot of exercise. But anyway, this guy, Caleb, when his younger contemporaries are contemplating retirement and cashing in on their IRAs, this dude is planning a conquest. As a matter of fact, Caleb wants to conquer that exact city that had so distressed his fellow men 40 years ago, giants and all. What a testimony, what a vision. 40 years after the Exodus, at the ripe old age of 85, what was the secret of Caleb in this third phase of his life? Verse 11. Joshua 14, I am still strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. Why was he strong? Not because of any intrinsic power of his own. Look at the next verse. And now give me this hill country about which Yahweh spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps Yahweh will be with me and I will drive them out as Yahweh has spoken, with the help and resources and wherewithal of this great God, I can win. Not by my strength, but by God's. Not by my power, but by God's. So in this third season of Caleb's life, he was trusting God's power. And if we want to finish strong, we too must be trusting the power of a God who affirms even today to us, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul said, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And so in the three seasons of his life, Caleb was trusting God's presence, trusting God's purpose, and trusting God's power. From beginning to end. Trusting God's presence, purpose, and power. Look at Caleb's testimony about himself in 14 verse 8. I, I, again there's a redundant pronoun there, I, I fully followed Yahweh, my God. In all the seasons of my life, I fully followed from beginning to end. Now look at this. Moses agrees with Caleb's witness, 14.9. You, Caleb, said Moses, you fully followed Yahweh, my God. That's Caleb, that's Moses. And now the narrator Joshua also concurred with that assessment. 14, 14. Chapter 14, verse 14. Here's what Joshua said. He, Caleb, fully followed Yahweh. 
the God of Israel. Three times, three different individuals, three testimonies to Caleb's success. Caleb himself, his leader Moses, and his compatriot Joshua. All affirmed Caleb's walk with God, fully following God in all the seasons of his life from beginning to end, trusting God's presence, trusting God's purpose, trusting God's power. Three times we have that attestation. The Holy Spirit is marking out this man. Watch him, take note of him, study him, learn from him how to finish strong, to fully, from beginning to end, to fully follow God. Oh, and what does God think about Caleb? We heard what Caleb thought. We heard what Moses thought. We heard what Joshua thought. What about God? What did he think? Well, we don't have to speculate. If you turn back to Numbers chapter 14, we heard from Caleb, from Moses, from Joshua. Let's see what God had to say about this guy. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, 14, 24. And my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit. And get this now, he fully followed me. There was God's own testimony to the faithfulness of his servant, fully following God in all the seasons of his life, trusting God's presence, his purpose, and his power. What is your vision for life? To finish strong? You're at the right place here in Boys College and Southern Seminary to develop and grow that vision. And that vision is simply this. Fully follow God in every season of life, trusting God's presence, trusting God's purpose, trusting God's power. What can we do to constantly remember to fully follow God? How can we bring it to mind in every season of life, but especially in those seasons of tumult, those seasons of storminess? I'm not much of a jewelry guy. I'm single. All my fingers are ringless. But I have created the habit of wearing this cross on my neck in seasons of turbulence. I'm going through one right now. A couple of months ago, I arrived home two days after Christmas, after two weeks of traveling abroad, and entered my house to find a veritable monsoon pouring down from the ceiling. A pipe had busted in the freeze, and after 48 hours, of 40,000 gallons, that's what my January bill said, 40,000 gallons of water that destroyed most of the living space of my house in a torrential, cruel deluge. Season of tempest, indeed. But I need to remember to fully follow God, trusting his presence, trusting his purpose, 
trusting his power. And so I'm wearing this. If and when things can get better, I'll take it off. But right now, it's on me all the time to remind me to fully follow God. No, it's not a magic talisman or an enchanted amulet or anything of the sort. It's simply a concrete reminder on my body of divine presence, of divine purpose, of divine power. No more are we going to be feeble, fearful, faithless. Instead, we're going to be fortified, fearless, faithful because of our God's presence with us, because of our God's purpose through us, because of our God's power in us. Try wearing a reminder on your body to fully follow God, not necessarily a necklace, but something of the token of the king's presence on your body. Maybe get a tattoo. <laughs> we started this Christian life well. We were saved. We were active in church. We started attending boys or southern. Some of us work here. We've started real well, real well. But how will we finish? Like Caleb, trusting God's presence, trusting God's purpose, trusting God's power. You know, it's never too late to start. Towards the end of the 19th century, as the story goes, Swedish chemist Alfred Nobel awoke one morning to read his own obituary in the local newspaper. Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, who died yesterday, devised a way for more people to be killed in a war than ever before, and he died a very rich man. Actually, it was Alfred's older brother who had died, and the newspaper reporter had bungled the epitaph. But the account had a profound effect on Nobel. He decided he wanted to be known for something other than the means to kill people efficiently and for amassing a fortune in the process. So it is said he initiated the Nobel Prizes, one of them awarded to scientists and writers who foster peace. Nobel said, every person ought to have the chance to correct his or her epitaph in midstream and write a new one. Here's your chance to write your own epitaph. It's never too late. Let's do it today. And it should say, he, she fully followed God by trusting God's presence, by trusting God's purpose, by trusting God's power. That's the way to finish well. Fully following God, trusting His presence, His purpose, and His power. Let's pray. Our Father, what a remarkable story of Your servant. puts us and the rest of the Israelites to shame. So I pray both for myself and for all my brothers and sisters here and those watching from afar, that you would strengthen us through the might and power of your Holy Spirit, 
for the sake of the name of Jesus to fully follow you from beginning to end. Trusting your presence, trusting your purpose, and trusting your power. We ask these things for the exaltation of your name and for the furtherance of your son's kingdom, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.